Before we get into the episode today, I wanted to thank everybody who has been listening, sharing the podcast. The day after this particular podcast goes out, it will be one year since we started podcasting here at Fez Talks. And again, I want to thank everybody who has been listening, everybody who has joined the program and who is going to join the program in the future for episodes beyond Star Trek and beyond Star Wars and all the superhero stuff that I have been doing on this podcast. Anyways, welcome to Season 2 of Fez Talks. Live long and prosper, and I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Captain's Log, Stardate 1312.4 The impossible has happened. From directly ahead, we're picking up a distress signal. The call letters of a vessel which has been missing for over two centuries. Did another Earth ship probe out of the galaxy as we intend to do? What happened to it out there? Is this some warning they've left behind? Welcome back to Fez Talks. I, of course, am your host, Fez. Today in the podcast... We're going where no man has gone before. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. before was not the first pilot or even the first broadcast episode, but it is the vehicle that brought Wagon Train to the Stars, to coin a phrase, to the small screen. After NBC rejected the cage, through Desilu and more notably Lucille Ball, better known as Lucy from I Love Lucy, Star Trek was given the first of in a series of second shots. The only cast member to survive the cage was Leonard Nimoy's Mr. Spock. Jeffrey Hunter declined to reprise the role of Captain Christopher Pike, and the search began for a new captain of the Enterprise. Jack Lord and Lloyd Bridges were considered until young William Shatner accepted the role that would become Captain James Kirk. The only recurring cast members in the show to appear in this episode were James Dewan's Montgomery Scott, Chief Engineer, and instead of Helmsman, Astrosciences' Lieutenant Hikaru Sulu, played by George Takei. There were three scripts in the running for the pilot. The aforementioned Samuel Peoples script, Where No Man Has Gone Before, and two others later produced by Star Trek. Mud's Women, which was produced in the first season, actually within the first couple of episodes, and Gene Roddenberry's penned The Omega Glory, which was produced in Season 2. 
although Where No Man Has Gone Before launched Star Trek into series run, it was unfortunately not the first broadcast episode from September 8th, 1966. That, unfortunately, at least in my opinion, was The Man Trap, which was basically a Monster of the Week episode and didn't show what Star Trek was all about. Where No Man Has Gone Before was actually the third broadcast episode of the series. And you'll see if you watch the original series all the way through, especially in that first 16 episode blocks, that uh, the episodes are not in production order for the most part. Even in, when we head into the second and third seasons, there are certain episodes that were filmed later on that appear earlier in the run. We're going to get a little clip in here before I come back with my friend Roy Belquist of Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner for a discussion on where no man has gone before. We should have intercepted by now. Bridge said they'd call. I'll have you checkmated your next move. <laughs> have I ever mentioned you play a very irritating game of chess, Mr. Spock? Irritating. Ah, yes. One of your earth emotions. Certain you don't know what irritation is? In fact, one of my ancestors married a human female. Terrible, having bad blood like that. So, here on Fez Talks, we've got my friend Roy of Roy's sci-fi tie-dye sci-fi podcast slash it facebook page so roy introduce yourself to the masses hello everyone hello masses how are you nice nice for you to have me on fez thank you for inviting me this is very nice and i am looking forward to talking to you about star trek's second pilot where no man has gone before so before we get into talking about where no man has gone before why don't you let the people know how you got into Star Trek? Wow. How did I get back into Star Trek? Well, um, it started in the 1970s. Just, just to date myself, I am 54 years old. I was actually born in 1966, the very year Star Trek actually premiered on NBC back in the day. And as I was telling you, Fez, uh, earlier... I probably started watching it around 1972, 1973. It was before the animated series came on and that was in September of 73. Actually, September 8, 1973, when it premiered. And um, my aunt was a huge William Shatner fan and she had been over my grandparents and we were visiting my grandparents and it happened to be on. And that's kind of how it, it all started with my watching it and then becoming interested and it just kind of morphed from there. And I've been watching classic Star Trek for, God help me, almost 50 years. <laughs> I can't say that, but, you know. You're not even I, close. <laughs> no, I'm 32 years old. I've basically been watching Star Trek since the day I was born. And my first Trek was Next Gen. In, And then I found myself in the original series as you know because i've told you this story i've told this story a bunch of times mm -hmm. that i my first show is next gen but my my passion 
is the original series. Although I actually group the four series that I watched as a kid as my, I can't, one day it could be Voyager, one day it could be DS9, TOS, the animated series, or Next Gen could be my favorite, but they all hold a special place in my heart because I was in that, that Star Trek boom of the 90s. Remember that, Roy? The boom? I do remember the boom. <laughs> so, where no man has gone before. In the segment before this, I did a little recap that, you know, Star Trek got a second pilot, which was unheard of at the time. Thanks in large part to Lucy yep. and Desi Lu Studios. Um, Jeffrey Hunter didn't want to reprise the role of Captain Christopher Pike, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only person to survive is Leonard Nimsey. I mean, Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock. So we both agree that this is in our top original series, if not, I don't know, Star Trek episodes of what we like. Um, Talk to me about the first time you watched it and what you feel about now when you do watch it. Well, I probably saw this episode again was probably somewhere in the mid the mid 70s i can't tell you the very first time i watched it however i do have a strong recollection because the one thing when this show when when i was watching star trek back in the day it was already in syndication and um, my parents and i lived in bergen county new jersey so wpix channel 11 was the central source of watching classic star trek and what they would do is they would run it, I believe it was at six o'clock PM, Monday through Friday, and it was on every night. And what they would do is they would actually show the episodes in, in production order, which is which is interesting because when they were televised originally, they had a, a sequence that they followed, which if you which I'm sure you're I, I know you are, the making of Star Trek's Stephen Whitfield's book, the first two, it only has seasons one and two, but the air dates that are listed in that are different than the production order. But anyway, when this episode would came on, I, I noticed that the original credits, the opening narration that usually was with it was not there. And to me, that was always interesting. So back in the day, there was no VCRs, there was no DVD recorders, there was no um, you know, laser disc players, essentially, we had our cassette tape recorders. And what I used to do was I used to tape record these episodes and that that's how I would be, I was able to listen to them and preoccupy myself in my spare time. And when I wasn't playing outside with my friends and, you know, we were playing kickball or doing baseball or whatever, it would, I'd be in my room with my Legos and I would be either building and, and I would be listening to these episodes. And one of the things that I remembered distinctively was wanting to get that opening narration and to say that opening narration and to record it. And that was something that really, um, as a eight or nine-year-old, really appealed to me. Um, the other thing is, too, watching this, not knowing all of the intricacies at that time behind it, except for you know the fact that this was the second pilot, which was mentioned in, in the book, The Making of Star Trek back in the day, it was different. The uniforms were different. The sets were similar, but different. They were varied. And the characters were not all there that we were, were 
who we would become familiar with. Dr. McCoy was not in this. It was, it was Dr. Piper. Lieutenant O'Hara was not in this. It was Lieutenant Alden. Um, Lee Kelso was, was in the Helms Navigation Station. And you know we were introduced to Sulu, but he was an astrophysicist. And um, Scotty was there as well. And it was just a different type of variation. And it was, it was unique. And it was something that I very much enjoyed. And I, I really liked it. And to this day, it is definitely within my top 10 favorite episodes. Um, I know there's people, Star Trek fans out there like yourself, like me that have seen these episodes hundreds of times. And, you know, some episodes people can recite beginning to end. This, if there's any Star Trek episode that I could probably quote from beginning to end, it would be this one. And it's probably the only one because I you know, wouldn't be able to, I, you, I've heard you banter many times and you're uh, very, very good. And your, your impressions are very good. And it's, it's fun because we all share that love of classic Star Trek, but this, this episode just holds a special place for me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but for me, like I, like you, I can't tell you exactly when I saw um, Where No Man Has Gone Before because my first original series episode actually was the Enterprise incident of all okay. things. So, And I think I had watched Wrath of Khan first out of anything original series so i had a long way to go but from what i remember i kept thinking why is spock shouting so much um why is he in gold uh who is gary mitchell who is uh uh dr daner um why does the bridge upper panels look so black they're supposed to be that light blue um why is the helm in the transporter room right right (laughs) but that those are the types of things that as a five or six year old grant you i know i'm not the typical kid that those are the things that i like my eye went directly to that's i guess part of the reason why when we used to film that I was the official Bezlopedia of Star Trek knowledge. Uh, But like you, this is one of my, this is actually one of my top five original series episodes. Very nice. Because I go back and grant you that that skill of, uh, reciting the episodes backwards and forwards has kind of diminished in my old age. But this is one of those ones where I actually remember the log entries and I the the other things that I remember are the the interactions between Gary and Jim on Delta Vega, whether it's at the uh, the brig site or out when they're they're about to do that final confrontation. Yeah, it, there, there's a there's a lot to this episode, and it it's very special in the sense too, because this was the opportunity. I mean, with the backstory, and I know you talked about it a little bit before. This was literally Gene Roddenberry's second chance to make the series work, 
And originally there were three scripts that were being chosen or being considered for the second pilot. And this one being one of them, which was written by Samuel Peebles, and he had actually helped him with, um, you know, as far as giving insight and, and, and as far as being in his corner in regards to the cage and I, I you know, him consulting him. Um, the, other, the other story was one that he had written, which was The Omega Glory. And that was about, which we all know because that was in the second, in the second season, one of the later episodes of the second season. And it dealt with the parallel world and a nuclear holocaust, and then essentially, you know, the West versus the East. And then, you know, we got the American flag at the end, and then also just a lot of patriotism. And that was something that Gene Roddenberry himself had written. And then the third was Mud's Women by Stephen, uh, Stephen Kendall. And he was, I believe, on the fence as far as which one to choose because he really was trying to impress the networks because this was his you know, second shot. And as you mentioned earlier, to have a second pilot, I mean, one, you know, a shot at one pilot was one thing, but to have a second pilot, that, had, that was really unheard of and that had never been done before, as far as I know from you know, readings in the history of TV. So this, this was really a big chance and this had, this was less, you know, there's so many stories and it's, you know, that, that have been told over the years. And um, Bob Justman and Herb Solo put out a book um, probably about, I oh got it's probably 20, I was gonna say 20 years ago, but it's probably even longer ago. And unfortunately both of them have, have since passed. That was very insightful. And I believe it was called Inside Star Trek if I remember correctly. And it was, it was a really good reading. And, you know, they talk about everything that, you know, what was occurring um, These Are the Voyages is another book that I, I, that Mark Cushman has done that I very much enjoyed as well. And it's just, you hear about everything that took place behind the scenes. And the fact that he decided to go with Where No Man Has Gone Before, it was, it was more of an action story, but it had everything. It had the science fiction elements. It had the solid science fiction story. It had the relationships too. It, is, it had the characters being established. My only regret is that this episode was not shown first in the original airing, but one of the things that I had read was that they felt it was too much, it was too much exposition. And that's why they decided to go with, they, they went with the man trap, which there was a lot of, you know, back and forth about that. And I guess that's a discussion for another day, but it's just that to me, this story would have been so solid to have had it as far as the premiere and it, it just, like you, I, I really enjoyed it. And it really just, the relationships that came about and how you see that Kirk is very good friends with Gary Mitchell. And Gary Mitchell was, you know, a human being in the sense. And then his whole demeanor, his whole character, his, his whole um, persona just morphs in the direction of, unfortunately, of negativity and evil as because he's consumed by the power, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. As, as Kirk says in that, that another brilliant speech by William Shatner is, is, you know, he's, you know, trying to convince Dr. Daner towards the end, you know, what's actually transpiring. It's, it's funny, like, 
I told you before, and I, I've said on previous podcasts, I'm doing all the pilots of Star Trek. Right. And I will say that I think the most complete pilot is probably Caretaker, which is the Voyager pilot. It has mm-hmm. all the characters, all the elements there. Now, they lacked on execution in the series, but that's a discussion for another day. But the one thing I will say about where no man has gone before from frame one, William Shatner is Captain Kirk. Yeah, I agree. He doesn't have to find it. He, it's just there. Grant you, Spock, um, Leonard Nimoy already had the cage to go back on. And with this new actor in, as the captain, he could step back from his portrayal in the cage and assume the more logical number one from the cage role, which right. he still kind of flipped more into as the series went on. But, but for all intents and purposes, those two characters and that relationship worked from that from the moment we saw them on the screen playing 3D chess. And to top that all off, to go back to your Gary Mitchell point, uh, you know, what I dislike about TV today, and I don't know if you agree with me, is that we're told things, not shown things. And in this instance, we're shown that Jim and Gary have known each other. Yeah, yes, we get the exposition while they're in sick bay and then when they're on Delta Vega of certain instances, but that uh, relationship is established the way Bill and Gary are, you know, interacting on the set. Right. No, I, I would totally agree with you about that. William Shatner, I mean, he... He just, he was amazing in that role. I mean, I'm, I mean, growing up, I mean, Captain Kirk was just amazing and he still is amazing. I mean, it's just, um, it was, he was an idol. I mean, he really was. I mean, he was the hero. And to your point, Fez, that, you know, about, you know, as far as the interactions between Kirk and Spock, Leonard Nimoy had, um, had been quoted, actually said he did something back in, I think it was 1983, and I know, and you you probably seen a lot of these these interviews and shows, and you know, I'm I'm dating a little bit before you were born, but you know what? I'll tell you something. Don't worry about it because I actually I'm just going to just interject this real quickly. I actually have um I had a fr- a, a friend who um, was my friend's cousin and Bob. He was 12 years older than me, and he used to bust my chops because he'd say okay, I know how much you love Star Trek and everything, but you know what? You didn't watch it when it was originally on. So he goes, you're really like a second generation. (laughs) And he used to bust my chops. And one time we actually went through each episode, episode by episode. We did it over a period of like two weeks and on the phone and we essentially digressed them. And this was probably like around like 1982, 1983. And then, and, you know, just having intelligent conversation about all the episodes like you and I are doing right now, but we went through every one of them. And it, it was a long, it was a long period of time and a lot of talking, but he said, you're an honorary first, first generation fan as a result of that, because, you know, we talked and, and again, my whole point about that is it, it really doesn't matter, you know, when you were born, you could, you know, you could be born during before or after. And it's just that, you know, your love of the series is your love of the series, but getting back to my original point, as I digressed, 
is um <laughs> that's okay we're also sci-fi distilled <laughs> and royce tie side royce tie-dye sci-fi corner because ross and i always digress on there too <laughs> but um what happened was in 1983 leonard nimoy did something called um star trek, i think it was called star trek memories and he went through for about like an i think it was almost an hour half two hours and it was right before star trek 3 the search for spock came out and it was just wonderful that, you know, the different things that he was recollecting and talking about, but he, he had emphasized that how he had worked with, you know, Jeffrey Hunter on the cage, but Jeffrey Hunter and William Shatner, were, you know, I'll say were and are because unfortunately Jeffrey Hunter is no longer with us. He passed in 1969, but, you know, two totally different actors and different approaches. And he, you know, commented about that and just that, Whereas, you know, with Jeffrey Hunter being more laid back and more reserved and William Shatner was just full of the energy and was, I believe he quoted him as saying is he was like an Errol Flynn type. And it's just that with the character that had evolved from, from what you said, because number one was unfortunately eliminated from the cage because Gene Roddenberry wanted to have Spock, it was, and they really weren't in favor of the number one character. So it was either one of them was going to have to go and he really wanted to have Spock. It was something that he felt that he could really work with. And then a lot of Spock's traits, or excuse me, a lot of number one's traits were incorporated into the, to the character of, of Spock because in the cage, you know, he shows more emotion he, he shouts a little bit more. Um, he smiles. We see him smiling when, when they're on the planet on, on Talos four when, with the, the singing, the singing plants. Um, you could even feel the, you know, when Pike is, is captured, but a lot of that was taken and incorporated into his character and the dynamics of their relationship is, is shown right from the beginning when they're playing chess and it, it's, 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 not formal, but it's not, it's, it's, it's more than that. And you can tell that they're setting the stage for it. And it was nice too, because they, they did it with 3d chess, which was just a nice piece. And then we even get to learn more about Spock where his entire character wasn't really flushed out because they have that conversation. And he says, the fact that one of my ancestors married a human female, human female, and then Kirk says terrible having bad blood like that. And it, it's like setting the stage with all that. And his, lack of emotion when they're in the conference room, in the briefing room, when Dr. Daner makes the comments saying, makes the, um, the, the notation, she goes, I know you you know, people from your planet generally don't have feelings, but when you worked with a man that long and then Kirk cuts them off. And, and, and the follow-up is the, the, the relationship to when everybody exits the briefing room and they're dealing with the situation of Gary Mitchell is starting to, you know, change. He's starting to mutate. And Kirk thinks he's by himself, but Spock remained. And then, you know, Spock approaches him and he says, we'll never reach an earth base with him aboard, Jim. You've heard the mathematics of it. And he says, Jim. So again, it's, it's showing that there is, you know, more than just a command relationship there or an officer relationship. There's, there is somewhat of a closeness. And it, it was just very, very well done. But I need a uh, recommendation, not vague warning spot. <laughs> but it's, it's funny that you we touched on this, 
and I think I touched on this in the, the previous segment, but another thing that uh, that informed my interpretation later on after I read these books and then after watching Where No Man Has Gone Before several times is that I think it's a Starfleet Academy books or there's there's some sort of books where where it has um, Gary Mitchell and Kirk as they go through their tenure on on the Farragut um, and all the other ships that they were on together. So that informed my knowledge of of Kirk and Gary. But what's telling is all those things that you mentioned about Kirk and Spock, like the 3D chess, the we'll never reach an Earth base with him aboard, Jim. But I think the most telling scene is the end when Kirk is finishing his log entry and it says, I, don't, I want a service, end, uh, a service record to end that way. He didn't ask for what happened to him. I felt for him too. There may be some hope for you after all, Mr. Spock. Perfect ending. Perfect ending. And that Absolutely. just that just sends you into the series. And yeah. if you if you didn't know any better, now I 100% agree with you. I I actually can't stand the man trap. I really can't. <laughs> I can't because it's it's basically the monster show of the week. It if was. you really if you wanted to, you know, show now, grant you, we're different. We're Star Trek fans, and I think we would have been predisposed to it anyway. But I don't think it has that much exposition. It's more the reason why where no man has gone before works versus the cage. The cage was more exposition, and it didn't have the. I'm gonna coin the phrase "wagon train to the stars." Uh, vibe that they were looking for that uh, Gene Roddenberry sold to NBC. So if you were going to go with any one of those three scripts, I love the Omega Glory specifically for that that uh, that Kirk speech, but that wouldn't have worked without McCoy there. Right. And Mud's Women is eh, an okay episode. And now that we're in 2021, it has certain connotations that, you know, doesn't uh, age well. But if you're going to go with something that shows you who the characters are, has a solid story, and even has a, a, moral, mes- a moral meaning and message at the end of said episode, Where No Man Has Gone Before is your, your, your jam. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. I think that um, it just has a little bit of everything in it. It has the action adventure. It has the science fiction elements. I mean, this, my understanding was that Gene Roddenberry actually had shown, did like a preview and it was at a um, science, I think it was the science fiction world convention. And it was back in 19, September of 1966. Um, prior to the show premiering, it was like, I think, it was probably early September, maybe the, around the third or fourth, if I remember correctly. And depending upon if you were if in the United States, Star Trek premiered on September 8, 1966, whereas our Canadian friends actually got to see it a, a day or two earlier. So they were very fortunate with that. Yeah, but when they yeah. showed 
<laughs> when they actually um, showed that. And I think this was, I remember reading this in the Star Trek Compendium by Alan Asherman. Um, this, and that, that book was another treasure that came out. I'm, I'm referencing all these books. It's just that it's, it's all the stuff, you know, we're talking about Star Trek and these memories. And when that book came out and I saw that at a Walden books back, like in 1980, I was like ecstatic. It was like, wow. And I, you know, I was doing a sleepover with a couple of friends and I was like 14 and I took that book with me and, you know, I should have been like, you know, hanging out and doing, you know, and, you know, we're watching TV or whatever. My, I was buried in that book because it was just like, wow. I mean, there were some photos in there that, you know, I hadn't seen before and they had the outlines and everything and, you know, the scripts, you know, what they were, um, you know, like the, um, before the altered, they were altered and how the direction that the author was going in. And I think they actually had the, um, when they were filmed again, I'm digressing Fez. Sorry. <laughs> 100% fine. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was, it was really very, very cool to read, but um, now I totally lost my point. <laughs> That's okay. It'll come back. It always comes back. It always comes back, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it just was really, really good stuff though. So what's one thing or name your like top three things about this episode that you like? Um, well, the galactic barrier we were introduced to, and I thought that was very interesting. And I thought it was, I mean, there was a lot of suspense about it because it, I mean, think about it. They were actually going to be leaving the galaxy. What does that mean? I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's, that's pretty, that's pretty epic. I mean, that's pretty, I, pardon the, pardon the coin phrase. It's pretty far out in that sense, but I don't mean like, you know, far out. I mean, I mean, it's out there. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you're talking about our, not our solar system, our galaxy. And it also is dealing with a spaceship that had been lost 200 years prior. And what happened to that? I mean, there's, you know, they're, they're picking up a recorded distress signal from a, the call letters of a vessel which has been missing for over two centuries, as Kirk narrates in his log. You know, it, it's, it's, it's imposing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's mysterious. And I just like that entire premise of that. And, you know, they don't know. And I'll, I'll tell you, when Spock is listening to the, to the recorder and he's trying to decipher everything, there is a lot going on there. I mean, that's where we're introduced to the characters. I mean, Mitchell says that, you know, the department heads are, are here and he wanted, Kirk wanted to know, have them on the bridge before they left the galaxy. And that's where we're introduced to Sulu, Scotty and, and Dr. Piper, and then also Dr. Daner. So, I mean, that lays the groundwork. But when Spock is listening to all that and trying to, you know, saying that they they encountered some unknown force, you know, your gears are going, it's like, what did they, what, what, what did they find? What happened? And then they said that, you know, seven crewmen were, de were dead. And, and then he said, no, make that six. One of them seemed to recover. And then what happens is it gets really intense when he says, I must have read it long. You know, he's listening to the record. And he says, I must have read it wrong. It's kind of like the captain given the order to destroy his own ship. I mean, Mitchell's head like turns, they, you know, and, and is like, he's even like, you know, kind of like, you know, wow, this is intense. And then Kirk, you know, 
Dean Kirk says, you know, we're going to, we're going to go onward, you know, other ships are coming out, you know, going to be coming out here, we need to know what's going on. And then they, they venture on, and then they encounter that, that, you know, that force. And 19, this was shot in 1965, 1966 with the visuals. That was, those were incredible effects. So right there, laying the groundwork, I love the effects. I love the, the story and that was being portrayed in all this. And then also as far as the friendship, I mean, Kirk and Gary Mitchell were super tight. I mean, it's almost like the relationship and on a certain level is the relationship that Kirk eventually has with Spock. I mean, they went through the Academy together and then Kirk and Mitchell, you know, were in a life and death situation where Mitchell took, you know, was being, you know, they were being, you know, almost attacked and he took a poison dart meant for him. And then, you know, Kirk even says you almost died. So, I mean, that in itself is establishing how tight they were. And now it's going in a totally different direction. And it's just this omnipotent power. And it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's scary. It's very scary. And it, it was just handled so well and everything. Um, I also love the fact that they had the phaser rifle. I mean, I'm going to be a geek here a little bit because I mean, this is the only episode in classic Star Trek that we see the phaser rifle, which was really cool. The communicators are, you know, left over from the, the cage. I always thought those were interesting. I, although I love what came with the regular communicators because I just think they are the probably the communicator is my top favorite prop in anything. I mean, in 1999, I love the stun gun and I love the comlock, but the classic communicator is just the coolest thing. And we could go on and talk about that forever too. <laughs> but it's just let me ask you, Fezdo, what was your favorite, you know, moments of this of this episode? I mean, what makes it be in your top five and how does, how do you find it different from the others and what makes it so much more special to you? Well, like I, you know, and I've talked about it on this podcast, big Star Trek fan, but also writer. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know if you knew this, but I wrote a script. Of I did not the, know that. Of these characters. And eventually I'm going to get a bunch of us together to um, actually perform said script. Cool. For the podcast. But to go back to what you asked, I'm always interested in what the story is or what the characters are doing. And like you said, I love the, the juxtaposition or I guess the foreshadowing of Gary and Jim's relationship, which eventually will become the Kirk and Spock relationship, albeit with an added ingredient of McCoy later on. And um, the ending, I'm talking like the whole uh, from when Kirk and Daner see each other on the outside to the end of the episode, that that to me was epic and you felt for Jim as he's going up against his best friend. He doesn't want to hurt Gary, but he knows it, it, it has to happen. So there's that. And you're, you're getting, 
you you also get throughout the episode that you know Spock has emotions and we all know that from the series it's just that you know he controls his emotions so when you get the scene like in the briefing room sorry I'm late I became so interested in observing Gary Mr. Mitchell our subject is not Gary Mitchell our concern is rather what he is mutating into I know those from your planet aren't supposed to have feelings like we do, Mr. Spock. But to talk that way about a man you've worked next to for years is worse than the... That's enough, Doctor. I don't think so. I understand you least of all. Gary told me that you've been friends since he joined the service, that you asked for him aboard your first command. It is my duty, whether pleasant or unpleasant, to listen to the reports, observations, even speculations on any subject that might affect the safety of this vessel. And it's my science officer's duty to see that I'm provided with that. Go ahead, Mr. Spock where Kirk accuses Spock of not having emotions after everybody's out of the briefing room. He goes, can you for one moment try to feel like, like you've got a heart? They're talking about Gary. The captain of the Valiant probably felt the same way, and he waited too long to make his decision. I think we both guessed that. Like that, like moments like this is why I love Star Trek moments like this is why I love drama in general whether it be movies or television shows the interpersonal relationships are what make the episodes or the TV shows or the movies to me and and that's what I you know like about this episode and that's what makes it so special to me it, it lit like I was saying before Voyager uh, Voyager's pilot caretaker may have laid the groundwork for some some interesting things but they don't follow through on the execution the original where no man has gone before actually lays it out at least character wise and carries it in and builds on it throughout the series and then through the movies now, I have to ask you, have you seen Where No Man Has Gone Before, the second pilot, as it was not the broadcast version? I'm, I'm assuming that you have, but I'm, I'm going to ask you if you have. I think I have, but it's been so long that I don't remember. Like, I, I remember the opening sequence was different. Right. Um. The way I remember it is it it wasn't in color. At least the version I remember was not in color. Okay. Um, it is available on, I think where I, I picked it up is I have the, the Blu-ray set. And that's where I first saw it. Actually, I, I may have even seen it prior to that on the internet, but I do have a copy of it. It, there's not much, much more. It's just that it's, as you said, the, the opening narration is different and Kirk's character is, is essentially, it's like showing the Milky Way, the galaxy. And then he's just kind of giving an introduction of how, you know, they're going to go where no man has gone before. And then it kind of leads into that. But there's also some extra footage, some extra scenes. And what it is, is we see Gary walking through the corridors of the Enterprise and He's, I mean, his characters, I mean, essentially he is a womanizer. I mean, that's, that's who he is. I mean, he, he loves women and he flirts and he does all this. And 
he's he sees yeoman um smith and she's walking in the corridor and he kind of just goes like this as she you know is walking by and then what happens what happens is there's another female officer that's walking you know adjacent and then he turns and he's just like you know checking her out they really were trying to establish that piece of it and they they still kept with that with you know the final final broadcast version but and it, it was a little over the top it's it's you know chauvinistic but it's a it's a product of the times i mean it is what it is but even with and one thing we didn't talk about while they're on the bridge and dr daner is essentially selling herself to kirk in the sense of telling her you know she's talking about her background and and what have you and mitchell being his character because he he is kind of you know he's kind of a smart aleck and he makes that comment which is again kind of chauvinistic he goes you're improving the breed doctor is that your line and then she goes that isn't that your specialty commander line included and then he turns the freezer unit exactly and then, you know, even Dr. Piper, there's that reaction where he just, you know, and then and then she's just kind of like mortified that she actually said that. And then right next to, while all this is going on, Yeoman Smith is standing there. And it's just, it's just, again, but it kind of adds to the character because what happens is later on, he's going to change. And then the other thing too is Yeoman Smith, when they're going through the barrier, or are starting to encroach on the barrier, he puts his hand back and he's holding her hand. And it was just like, you know, for that to be taking place on the bridge, you know what I mean? But it's mm-hmm. just, it's again, it's that other element of humanity that we see of Gary. I mean, you know, some of it is, you know, it's, it's we later find out when he has that conversation, which is so important with, with Kirk. And you, you mentioned that earlier when he's, in the, you know, sick bay with him. And we find out about, you know, their history and they're joking. It's like Gary, you know, he's, you know, his eyes are, are shining, but he's Gary is Gary. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just been, you know, he's passed out, he's recovered and he's just trying to take it all in, but nothing has really changed. He doesn't feel any different. Well, he does feel different, but it's not to that level yet. My friend, James Kirk. Remember those rodent things on Dimeris? The poison darts they threw? I took one meant for you. And almost died. I remember. So why be afraid of me now? You've been testing your ability to take over the Enterprise. In the transporter room, you said something about us seeming like insects by comparison. Squashing us if we got in your way. I was drugged then. And then the other thing, too, is Kelso comes to visit him. And there's a friendship with Kelso. And, you know, he even jokes with him. He says, you know, he says, he talk, tells him about, you know, he says, you better check the, the uh, starboard in, in on impulse deck. Those points are about to cave to lead. And he goes, oh yeah, sure, Mitch. He calls him Mitch. Like, you know what? It's like you and I, you know, you, you used to call me Jersey. And it's like me calling you, you know, come on, Fez. You know what I mean? It's, it's that kind of camaraderie. I just said it, folks. That's the word I always botch. But it's that kind of relationship and it was so personal and it was so well done because it make that's so natural. And that's another brilliant example of this story 
it's showing, you know, these guys are friends. It's not like, you know, they're just going through the, you know, through the motions. It's like, you know, he's on his coffee break and he wanted to check on him and see how he was doing, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. Those little things. And, and this is to your point too, Fez, the character development, the writing, it was just, it was right on point. And then again, it's like maybe almost the first half of the episode, but then, you know, Gary starts to start to do these things and, you know, they see him on the monitor, you know, where he's, you know, doing things with, you know, Scotty's in the briefing room again, when they're having their, you know, their, their session about what's going on, you know, this is, he's developing into an issue and, you know, Sulu really sells it and really makes it horrific when he, you know, Kirk is going around the room asking everybody for their advice and he goes, you know, Mr. Sulu, and then you know what Sulu says. <laughs> it's just well, like, oh, if you want the mathematics of it, yeah. And then, and then Spock is like, you know, in a month we'll be, you know, it, you know, it would be like you know, if we'll, we have a ship full of blind, you know, white mice. <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's 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 a home run all the way around. So if you could change anything, well, before I get to that, when you watched Where No Man Has Gone Before, provided that you don't do the whole Netflix, uh, Paramount Plus, Hulu thing, because you don't get a choice, you get the remastered version, do you go remastered version or do you go the original effects? I go with the original effects and this is an ex, you know, this is a very um, interesting question. And it's a question that comes up a lot. I do enjoy watching certain episodes with the remastered effects, but here's the whole thing where I would be horrified is if the original effects were not available because to me, that is, it is the purity. It is the original concept. And it's, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the main discussion that always, always comes up is, you know, Star Wars is a brilliant example of this where, you know, this Star Wars came out in the theaters in May of 1977. You, if you can find a version, unless if of it in the stores or online of the original, you know, from beginning to end, and I'll say Star Wars, you know, New Hope episode four, the way it was shown back in 1977, good luck. I mean, I, I think somewhere I might have a videotape of it. And it, it's it's crazy because it's 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 been redone over and over again. And the, the remastered effects are nice to look at to a point, but I would not want to lose the original because there's something very special about that. So to answer your question, I do watch it with the original mostly. Do I watch it with the enhanced? Yes, but I I am a purist in that sense that I wouldn't want the original to go away. So for me, I don't think I've ever seen the original Star Wars. I think I was too I was too old, too young to have ever seen it. And I think the first version I saw was the the VHS. Uh, remat VHS uh, THX um, mm -hmm. special editions that came out like when I was about 10. I think those are the first ones I think I saw. And 
I don't think they had the excessive CGI in it, but right. it was getting there. Yeah. Um, to answer my own question, I actually watched the original effects 100% because I like every once in a while I'll watch the remastered, but mm-hmm. it gets to a point where in certain episodes, I know that there's an ex, an ex, uh, an extra CGI scene added for gratuity, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had my choice, and Paramount Plus, please, please be listening, I would like you to redo the remastered Star Trek with Darren Doctorman doing the CGI of the Enterprise because his doomsday machine is amazing. I would love to see that. <laughs> Darren is amazing. Um, that and the, the Blu-ray edition or the 4K version of the director's edition of the motion picture, <sighs> that also would be something I would like to see. I would love to see that. I, I mean, the fact that, I mean, I know we're digressing, but it's okay, <laughs> right? <laughs> Star Trek, the motion picture, when when Shari and I got, um, we got a big screen TV about four years ago. And let me tell you something. The very first thing I played on that was, it was it's like eight o'clock at night. I brought the lights down and it was the scene where Kirk sees the Enterprise for the very first time with Scotty. And that is, that is my favorite scene in that movie. I just, I, I could watch that over and over again because, I mean, William Shatner just sells that with, you know, when he sees the Enterprise and, you know, Jerry Goldsmith's score with that was just incredible. And it's just, it's, it's just a moment. I mean, that's, you know, that's the love. And that's, and that's the other thing. I mean, the enterprise, the enterprise is, is everything. It's, 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 it's a character. It's, it's, you know, you know, throughout the series when, you know, you know, he even, you know, his concern and his care. And I think, what was it? I think it was in, um, I mud, he goes, you know, she's a beautiful, you know, she's a beautiful lady lady and we love her, love her, you know, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's just overemphasized with that. So, but <laughs> I mean, for me, I think the scene in uh, the motion picture that like I gravitate towards, it's it's the entire ending when they get back to the bridge and then you see the Enterprise go. Mm. That that's what gets me. Um, to bring it back to where no man has gone before. <laughs> um, what's one thing that if you had a redo of this episode. If there's anything that you can think of, what's the redo? That's a really, really good question. Um, what would I redo on this? Costumes don't count. <laughs> no, you know what, Fez? I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't want the costumes to be redone. I would not want the costumes to be the costumes that we all loved, you know, come to love in the, in, you know, in the first season and, you know, in, and in, in classic Star Trek, I, I really like Kirk's second pilot uniform a lot. Um, it is one of my favorite. 
I I only bring it up because I know how much of a costume person you are. Yeah. No, no, and fair enough. I am. You're right. But I wouldn't I would not change that. I would not change that at all. To me, to change that would take away from it. Um you know, maybe if there was, and and this is the whole thing too, maybe I would have made it a little bit longer if they could have, because a lot of times with pilots. I mean, you've referenced the caretaker and Mm -hmm. also, um, and I'm thinking of Encounter at Farpoint for uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Basically all the modern day Star Trek pilots are two hours. I'll take Picard out of it because it's literally three parts. Yes. But I would say if there was anything that I would change and I I wouldn't change anything that is, that has been done because I, I love it for what it is. And to me, that would, I wouldn't want to do that. I would just say if there was extra material that could have been added to it in in different places, or maybe there was more, I mean, there was, it was an incredible setup the way that was done. So I wouldn't even want to take away from that because the opening was great. It would just be maybe adding different things, maybe throughout the, um, throughout the episode, maybe as all of this was occurring with Gary, maybe we could, you know, for example, you know, when they're in the briefing room, we keep going back to that to that specific scene, but they said, you know, there was the reference that he was, you know, doing things with the controls. Maybe if we saw more things like that um, and scenes like that were added, I think that would be something that I would want more of or just different things before they get to Delta Vega or maybe, you know, if they added different um more scenes in regards to when with them on Delta Vega, things happen very quickly on Delta Vega. I mean, they, they have them in, in the, um, in the force field in, in the uh, detention area. And Dr. Daner makes a reference that he's been like that for hours now. And, and so we know that hours have gone by. So there could have been scenes that could have been added in that spot. Spock also references to Kirk. He goes, he tried to get through the force field again. You know, his eyes changed back faster. He didn't become as weak. And then, Kirk says, you know, Dr. Dana feels that, you know, you know, makes his comment to, uh, to Spock about not being dan- dangerous. And then he says, all I know is logic. In my opinion, we'll be lucky if we can get fix the ship and get away in time. There's a scene there which, you know, is referencing that something had happened. So if they could have expanded on that, that it would be something that I, I would say about, you know, potentially adding to it as well. Now, to be fair, if you had a choice or maybe would you, or would you not want to add anything? And if you were to add something, what would you want to add? Well, I actually agree with you that I just wish it were longer. Yeah. Um, the things that I think that I would add, while I love the beginning of the captain's log, start at 1312.4, the impossible has happened mm-hmm. as the beginning I would have liked that to be like the beginning of act one. And then you get a different type of teaser, maybe at the end of a different mission, like six, five, six minutes of a teaser, maybe even getting the the distress signal and hearing the distress signal and fade Mm -hmm. out to the main credits. Right. And then, like you said, get maybe more scenes of Gary in sick bay 
and or on the bridge of watching Gary do all this extraordinary things or more of Daner with Gary in sick bay. And then you know that we've got hours. Right. We've got hours from when they come down to when Gary escapes. And then we probably have like two hours, maybe three, after Gary gets out with Daner or whatever that you 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 could expand on even show you know dr piper taking spock back to the enterprise and maybe like a little conversation like we we would have in the original series of spock and maybe scotty on the bridge you know counting down the time that's that kirk has left before they uh, drop uh drop the neutron radiation right those are the things that i like just like you i for all the things that i've said it's probably the second best pilot in my opinion of star trek Mm -hmm. and with that said and those are just little nitpicky things there's nothing that i would really like change change about it like I love the costumes just like you do. Not my favorite uniform because you own my favorite uniform. The green Which one? wrap. Oh, okay. Yep. From season two. I don't like the season one wrap. Yeah, the season two one is my favorite. Um I wouldn't change the communicator or the phaser, which is actually the laser pistol from the the, the cage. I love the phaser rifle. We don't see the tricorder which but nothing about it like nothing about the story story i would change nothing about it not even like the portrayals of the characters it's still driven by human frailty do you like what you see time to pray captain pray to me to you not to both of you. Pray that you die easily. No. There'll only be one of you in the end. One jealous God. If all this makes a God, or is it making him something else? One last chance. absolute power corrupting absolutely yeah no i'm i'm we're in total agreement about that it's 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 a masterpiece and to delete anything from it and, and actually talking about deletion interesting enough um and i've had this conversation with other folks about different shows as well as star trek back in the day um well star trek is 52 approximately 52 minutes or was 52 minutes when it was shown yep when it was filmed and what happened was as a result of syndication unfortunately when they would run it on you know channel 11 out of new york or channel 17 out of philadelphia in this area what would happen is different scenes would be edited so 11 was good in the sense of deleting scenes that would be considered not 
disruptive to the story per se. However, if you are a person that loves characterization and you love those extra scenes, they tend to get lost. And for years, up until we had actually moved out to this area, because my parents moved out here in 1976, and when I was, yeah, I was 10, I had never seen the scene between Kirk and Mitchell in the sick bay. That was deleted. So I actually saw that for the first time while watching classic Star Trek on Channel 17, because they're different network, well, different stations, I shouldn't say networks, they're different stations, and they would cut different types of scenes. And they used to do it, Space 1999 is another example that I always use when telling this story. So for me, at a later age, you know, going from like seven or eight to 10, seeing these extra scenes, it was like seeing it for the first time because I was like, wow. And it was really, really cool to have that. But it's also very sad in the sense that as a fan or a viewer, we were deprived of it. And again, it's because of the whole commercial time um, that, that was lost. So, it, you know, it's funny because we're talking about adding stuff and here, you know, when it was syndicated. And again, this is before VHS, you know, came out and then, you know, the Blu-rays. I remember in 1985 when, you know, these VHSs started coming out and I was ecstatic because they they didn't release, if I remember correctly, they didn't release the cage right away. It, they came out with Where No Man Has Gone Before and they came out with the Corbin Eye Maneuver, Mud's Women, The Enemy Within. It was like episodes two, three, four, five. And then they, they just went in succession. And to have that video cassette and it was the complete episode, I mean, that was like, wow, this is really cool. But they were expensive. I mean, you're talking fifteen dollars. I uh, they had a graphic con for thirty six ninety nine or something. I, I I saw somewhere. Yeah. And but. to to your point, I actually watched the original series on uh, Channel Eleven PIX. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the nineties, and I don't remember if by that point that they were cutting it out because I know that that was around the time that they were showing on the sci-fi channel, like the in quotes extended editions of the episodes with the commentary or in little itty bitty interviews with William Shatner, uh, Leonard Nimoy and all the the rest of the cast or even the guest cast. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the sci-fi channel and it's, you know, not that it's not still around and it was exciting that they were going to be broadcasting those. And again, to your point, I think what wound up happening and it probably, it may have been in the nineties or maybe even the late eighties. I'm not sure of the time frame. but what they started to do when they were circulating Star Trek, I think that the versions that were being syndicated, they were cutting everything. If they were cutting anything at all, they were doing it pretty much in the same type of areas and they were being very consistent with it. It was almost like there was a a formal distribution of the series where they weren't going to be butchering different copies. It's like if one station or had it, another station would have the same thing and it went around. But by this time, by that time, um, I had my, um, you know, my videotape. So I really, you know, when I wanted to watch it, I was kind of spoiled. It took me years to do, but I, had bought all 79 of those episodes 
and, you know, spent the money <laughs> and uh, would watch them on videotape. And it's funny too, because when I go back and I look at those, those copies, it's like, oh, but compared to now we have, you know, then they came to, you know, the, the, the discs, the DVDs came out and they were superior. But then you got the Blu-rays, high definition, and you watch these. I mean, you could see, you know, scratches in the set and it's okay. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's fine, but it's just amazing. Boxes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's part of the history though. I just, I, it blows me away though that, I mean, my birthday is July 20th, 1966. Production on this second pilot started on July 19th, 1965. And it was, I believe, originally supposed to be seven days and it went over. I think it was like something like eight and a half or nine. And it, it you know, the budget was supposed to be lower and then it, it went higher. They were at an advantage because they already had the sets established from the first pilot. So they, you know, as far as bringing set, you know, set costs down, but there's um, a lot of history with this. And to, and to think that it's going to be 56 years old this July just blows me away. It's, it's, it's crazy. It blows me away that it's been around all of my life. And yeah, uh, other than the little lull from enterprise to uh, discovery, because I don't count the Abrams first movies. Um, I have never had a lull of Star Trek. Mm. And even that, there was no lull of Star Trek for me because we I was on the show. Working right. on, on New Voyages by that point. Which is pretty awesome. That's very um, awesome. The only thing that I don't think anybody ever rec- really recognizes is that the railing is shorter in Where No Man Has Gone Before versus the series. I didn't pick up on that. And and you want to know how on a conscious level. So I was thinking I I was what I've thought about this multiple times, knowing how tall William Shatner is, Mm -hmm. knowing how tall Leonard Nimoy is, and having seen the rail myself, both on the uh, TV and in person. William Shatner sits down on that railing and he never does it at any other point during the series. You know what's interesting? I I, I was re-watching the episode today just so I could re-familiar my... Well, it's kind of... I have to laugh, re-familiarize myself with it. I was wa- re-watching it just so it would be a little... that much more fresh. And it's funny. I, I noticed... I've, you've all seen him do it, sit there. But when he sits, though, he actually, and I caught this today, which I never caught literally for the first time, if you go back and watch it, he crosses his leg when he's sitting on that railing. <laughs> and I did, I had never caught that before. So it's interesting watching, you know, you never know what you're going to catch when you're really, really looking for to, to catch something. And it, it, it and it's kind of cool that you just brought this up and, and about the... Um, height of the railing. So that is something I will definitely look into. And I, I never actually noticed that as far as, you know, it being different, but I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, because they did, they definitely modified, you know, made modifications to it as, you know, as it went on. I know mind blown. <laughs> Roy, I've had so much fun talking with you before I let you go. 
is there anything you want to plug? You know, a podcast, video thing. <laughs> Here comes the selfless, the selfless plug, folks. <laughs> um, if you like science fiction of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you can tune in um, to Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner. We broadcast um, on Friday nights. It's 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time now because we just actually are celebrating Daylight Savings Time and every other Sunday. So um, that is also at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So um, this Friday, we are, my, my co-host, my friend Ross, who I've been friends with back from high school, we're gonna be doing um, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It's a 1959 classic Walt Disney film and actually Sean Connery's in it. And it's, uh, yeah, and it's one of his first roles, which is kind of cool. And then if you are a Star Trek fan, uh, which I'm assuming a lot of you folks are, um, this Sunday, actor Michael Dante is gonna be joining me um, and we're gonna be talking about his career. And for those of you, um, you're saying you recognize the name and you know who he is, but you just can't place him. He was in the classic Star Trek episode, Friday's Child, and he played Mob and uh, he was the compelling leader. And that was the second season episode. So. That is coming up this weekend. So very excited about that. Well, Thanks. Roy, I have had so much fun. I'm going to have you back. Awesome. Well, and you tell me what episode of Star Trek you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. What, right now you want me to tell you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, because eventually I'm going to get there. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing broadcast order and I'm okay. not doing, I'm not doing release order either. This was just <laughs> a funny idea after I decided I was doing, I did a review on a pilot and I was like, I should probably do this for all the Star Trek shows. That's about two months worth of work. Absolutely. Well, first, before I answer that question, Fez, I just want to say it was a real pleasure to be on with you. And I very, very much enjoy talking with you too. You, your knowledge of Trek is is unbounded and also I know you're a true fan in the sense of just loving Star Trek and you know fandom is just being a fan but it I, I know how much it means to you and that's really really cool and I cannot believe that you and I have been talking for like I'm just looking down at the time right now on the computer I can't believe we've been talking for like an hour and 10 minutes because it just went like that I mean I could probably keep talking to you so <laughs> that makes two of us <laughs> But um, that's, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there first. So again, thank you very much for having me on. It was definitely a, it was definitely a pleasure. Um, episodes that I would love to talk about with you. Um, well, one that immediately comes to mind, that's a, I mean, I have so many favorites, so I'm, I'm not gonna comp out with that, but I will say there are so many favorites that I have, but one that immediately comes to mind that I think would be really fun to talk to you about would be Tomorrow is Yesterday. It's a, is one, is a favorite from the first season. Um, I think that's like the 21st episode, but you're not going in production order, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the other one, uh, which is always, and I think it's probably on everybody's list, but it's can just- Can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess? Yes. Doomsday Machine. You got it. <laughs> you must help me. Before it goes too far. What he's doing is right. For him and me. And for humanity. You're still human, at no, least I... partly you are. 
talking to me. Earth is really unimportant. Before long, we'll be where it would have taken mankind millions of years of learning to reach. And what will Mitchell learn on getting there? Will he know what to do with his power? Will he acquire the wisdom? Please go back while you still can. Did you hear him joke about compassion? Oh, Elsa, God needs compassion! Mitchell! What do you know about gods? Then let's talk about humans. About our frailties. As powerful as he gets, he'll still have all that inside him. Go back. You were a psychiatrist once. You know the ugly, savage things we all keep buried that none of us dare expose, but he'll dare. Who's to stop him? He doesn't need to care. Once again, I've got to thank Roy for coming on to talk about Star Trek's second pilot, A Second Shot at a New Life, which is a common theme in the whole run of the original series. Um, it actually made me feel like we were back at the set tour before it was the set tour. Um, and speaking of which, the captain, William Shatner, will be appearing at the set tour on July 23rd of this year. So if you want to make the trek, go to www.startrektour.com. Reserve your tickets. They're going pretty fast. Make sure you guys go ahead and listen to Rizzo and Mary Beth on Sci-Fi Distilled on Wednesdays. They are still doing superhero stuff as we speak, and they just did Umbrella Academy as I record this. Look out for the Super Troopers podcast, which will come via Fez Talks with Mary Beth and Mike Rizzo. That should be an awesome crossover event. Also, Sci-Fi Distilled does a live Facebook show at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. Now, flipping over to Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner, make sure you watch him on Facebook Live. His shows are Fridays and alternating Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Give them all some love. And as we wrap up here today, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can get us anywhere. Apple, Google, Anchor, Spotify, basically wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get into contact with us, Facebook, FezTalks-Podcast, Instagram and Twitter, at FezTalks. And if you want to get in contact with us the old-fashioned way, I do love reading emails and writing emails back. FezTalks at gmail.com. And we're going to get out of here with the ending to where no man has gone before. I'll see you next time, podcast listeners. Captain's Log, Stardate 1313.8. Add to official losses, Dr. Elizabeth Dana. Yet noted she gave her life and performance of her duty. Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell. Same notation. I want his service record to end that way. He didn't ask for what happened to him. I felt for him too. I believe there's some hope for you after all, Mr. Spock. <laughs>